In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is the Athletics' Jesse Temple. We're still about a month away from spring ball getting going. Probably, I don't know, what would you say, Jesse, about five weeks? Six weeks, maybe? Yeah, I know Wisconsin's spring break ends about March 19th. I think the comeback to class is March 20th. So I'd expect a good five-week run there leading up to the open practice on April 22nd. Yeah, so we got some time still before spring ball. We were expecting spring ball to be a pretty packed room in the quarterback room. I Still is going to be that way, but there is one last guy in the room. Uh, it is Chase Wolf, a story that you broke yesterday. Chase Wolf no longer with the program. Originally deciding that he was going to return uh, for a sixth year, ended up not being the case. For anybody that didn't hear about it, Jesse, what uh, what happened? Yeah, well, I, I spoke with a, a source about this to get the perspective of what happened here. And so, obviously, Chase talked to us after the bowl game, the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, and announced that he'd be coming back and talked about how he had the rest of his life to work and didn't want to look back and have regrets um, but that was based on conversations that he had with the new coaching staff, Luke Fickle and Phil Longo. And at the time, there were three scholarship quarterbacks or four scholarship quarterbacks set to be a part of the program. And um, the person that I talked to said that in those initial conversations, Chase decided to come back. He wasn't sure, but he, he wanted to play for Luke Fickle. Fickle was somebody who had recruited him, offered him a scholarship to Cincinnati. Wolf is a Cincinnati native. Um, and was intrigued by this offense. But according to this source, th- they told him that they were going to bring in two or three transfer quarterbacks. So they were upfront about that and said that he would have an opportunity to compete for the starting job. And as the story that I wrote uh, illustrates, Chase was fine with that. He was fine with them bringing two or three guys. He wanted an opportunity to compete. And then he talked to Longo couple days before players were due to report to campus so they were supposed to report january 17th so the this was been january 15th and um longo told him that they intended to go with tanner mordecai as the starter again this is according to the source that i spoke to and so chase decided to move on be, because again the reason he came back is he wanted to have a legitimate opportunity to compete for the starting job and that wasn't going to be the case and so that's why we're in the spot that we're in right now. I don't think it's a great surprise to anybody who saw the quarterback room fill up, especially after they got Braden Locke. Um, and I have to imagine that that contributed to this situation as well. So right now, Chase um, is no longer enrolled in school because, again, when he talked to us, he said that he was going to pursue a master's degree in the real estate and urban land economics um, program. So he's it's a dead period right now as we're talking in February. So. Um, he's weighing his options on what he wants to do. Doesn't know if he's going to be a graduate transfer and play football somewhere next season, but he's no longer a part of Wisconsin's program at this point. And, um, you know, I know there's, you can look at which side, how you feel about each side and we can get into that, but that's the, the basics of the story is that, uh, is that Chase isn't with the program. And I reached out to Wisconsin um, just to see whether they've, wanted to comment and, and Luke Fickle declined to comment through a team spokesperson and Chase declined to comment when 
I reached him via text message. So that's that's where we're at right now. So what do you think happened here um, when it comes to to Chase and what he was told in December and what he was told in January? My my take is, and again, it's just a I don't even know. It's not even an educated guess. It's just a guess that you have Chase at the time you had Chase and you were going to go out and get two to three quarterbacks. You thought you were but you didn't know exactly who those quarterbacks were going to be and how good they were going to be and how experienced they were going to be. And so you have Chase Wolf, who is a senior, does have some experience, more experience than anybody, any of the other quarterbacks you currently have on the roster, even though it's you know not a ton of game experience. And so you say, yeah, you can compete for the starting job. And when Nick Devers came in, eh, all right, that's fine. But when Tanner Mordecai comes on, a guy with, the credentials he does as a starter, especially the last two seasons at SMU, things change. And I'm not saying that they guaranteed him the starting job. It, you know, Tanner, maybe they did. Maybe they had to, to bring him in. But it felt that, that as soon as Tanner Mordecai signed, there was no competition. It's going to be his job. And so I think that's where it changed. Do you agree with that? Or, or where do you think, where, where does your thinking come down on this? Because we only have... What we know, talk about it, as you said, uh, Wisconsin didn't want to comment on it. Right. So I agree with what, everything that you're saying. Um, and I think it's worth noting that there's a couple of things that I didn't mention before. So one of the things in talking to the the source is um, the source for the story is, you know, Chase right up until two days before players were supposed to report fully intended on coming to Wisconsin. He had actually signed an apartment lease to come to Madison. And um, and and uh, so I would say I don't blame anybody here. I don't think the coaching staff did anything wrong in the sense of uh, they told Chase what they thought or what the expectations would be. And in my mind, it's better to let a player know where things stand than have him go through, I don't know, a dog and pony show of coming back and never having a realistic opportunity. The one gripe that you could potentially have, um, again, we don't know and maybe won't know Wisconsin side is the timing of events, uh, mostly because of how close it was to players having to report. But yeah, when Chase decided to come back, or at least announced it, they had one transfer, Nick Evers, a kid who, while very highly regarded out of high school, threw exactly one pass last season in one game, an incomplete pass for Oklahoma. When you get Tanner Mordecai, that does change a lot. And it's important to note that at the time Chase made that decision, nothing had been decided about Mordecai that game was on a Tuesday night and if my memory serves me and I wrote about this the next day was a Wednesday I talked um afterward I talked to Mordecai's dad and even as of that Wednesday they were planning to sign with an NFL agent because he was he had played five he'd been a five-year college player was going to pursue the NFL draft and that Saturday they were supposed to go meet with an agent and then it really came together between that Wednesday and Thursday where Wisconsin became a viable option. Mordecai ended up entering the portal and a day later committed to Wisconsin. So Wisconsin's coaching staff couldn't have known who was going to be available, let alone a guy that, quite frankly, is the best quarterback Wisconsin has had on its roster since Russell Wilson. Um, and the statistics, they, they bear that out based on what you've seen the last two seasons. Uh, 72 touchdown passes, 22 picks. He threw for 7,152 yards. Yeah, if you can get a guy like that. Um, and I thought it was interesting. Someone made this comparison in the comments section of my story. It, it, they, they 
paralleled it to the Jim Leonard situation of, um, you know, you like Jim Leonard and and you you would want him with the program. But if you can go out and get someone like Luke Fickle, you go and get him because you're trying to upgrade the program. So clearly Mordecai is going to be the starter and, and whatever was specifically said, and you, you can debate how open the competition will be in the spring. Certainly they want to evaluate multiple quarterbacks. The rest of the room has thrown a combined six passes in college. So it it's, makes sense that it's, it's Mordecai's job. I think also what we should consider is then they went and got a third transfer quarterback. And, and to me, maybe that was what put it over the top too, because Mordecai announces his decision December 30th. That's three days after the bowl game that he's going to come to Wisconsin. And then Brayden Locke, the transfer from Mississippi state announces his intention to transfer to Wisconsin on January 10th for clarification purposes, guys who come back for a sixth year now because of the COVID year uh, still occupy a scholarship. They don't have the free year like they did the year after that. So that would be six scholarship quarterbacks in a room, which frankly is way too many. Um, so I, I can see all the sides here. I can understand um, why Chase would be disappointed in the situation because he thought he'd have an opportunity to compete and then told was told that he wouldn't have an opportunity. And yet at the same time, they went out and got one of the best quarterbacks available in the portal the entire offseason. So that's kind of how Wisconsin ended up in this spot. Uh, before we go any further, I do have to address the Joel Stavi slander right there. <laughs> he is the all-time winningest quarterback. I, yes, uh, he is. All right, let's give him his due and just don't skip over those magical four years, please. It just needs to be recognized, all right? It just needs to be recognized. When it comes to Tanner Mordecai, like to me that that was the difference. Like, what does it matter if Braden Locke? If you're if you're, I mean, Braden Locke's not gonna compete for the chant for the spot. I, I, to me, well, it's all I think about it's more. a promised scholarship at least that to have well, six scholarship quarterbacks sure. is look, just a lot. Look, if we're being fair, if we're being fair, there's not going to be five scholarship quarterbacks in that room this fall. In my opinion, in my opinion, I don't think there will be five scholarship quarterbacks in that room, and. I'm not saying who's going to leave, but I think it's pretty obvious. And that's just me guessing. There's there's no there's nothing there. But having five scholarship quarterbacks, especially at a place like Wisconsin, not necessarily the norm for everything. And it's also worth mentioning that Luke Fickle can say you don't need no longer have a scholarship anytime he wants as a new coach. So there's there's a lot going on with this. And we I don't know if we've I don't know if we've talked about it. I know we talked about it in Kenny and Heilpern, but um where your scholarship limit right now, like you have to be below, you have to be 85 or below all the time. And right now they don't have to cut anybody because all these freshmen that are coming in this fall or this, uh, this summer aren't here yet. So you can still have guys on scholarship, but there's going to be guys leaving off this team, whether it's their choice or not after spring ball. And um, Chase may have been one of those guys that would have been on the out even after spring ball. It's certainly very possible, and and I think we've said this before, but uh, absolutely, I fully expect there to be roster turnover because, again, there's another transfer portal window May 1st to the 15th, which is going to be a little more than a week after Wisconsin completes its spring practices, and guys are going to have an opportunity in those 15 practices to really see where they stand, and, and in particular, returning guys uh, to see, are they in the pecking order? Do they have a shot at the two deep? And if they don't, or the writing is on the wall, they may want to pursue a another opportunity. So absolutely. There's going to still be some roster turnover, but in the end um, you, you certainly can't fault Wisconsin for upgrading the quarterback room. I don't know what the staff thought was possible in terms of the types of players that they could get when they took over, because you don't know who's going to wind up in the portal when, but when you get a guy like 
Tanner Mordecai, it certainly changes a lot. Um, I would say, again, from Chase's perspective, it's just unfortunate on, on the timing of it, but he got five years here um, just to view the totality of his career. I mean, he, he earned a degree, uh, he got a start, and if he wants to play somewhere else, he's got a little bit more time to, to make that decision. Um, but Wisconsin has, there's a reason why there's so much excitement and you get a guy like Mordecai and that has a big part in it. I also, um, you know, Chase, consummate team guy and did everything he asked. It just obviously wasn't always great on the field. Um, and while I kind of understand the comparison, Jim Leonard to Luke Fickle, that's a real slap in the face of Jim Leonard comparing him to Chase Wolf. <laughs> yeah, I, it's not an apples to apples comparison. I just thought it was an interesting comparison in the sense that you, you're you're keeping someone in the fold like Chase uh, and and then you go out and get kind of like the best candidate, the number one candidate, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's an app. It's an apples to oranges comparison, uh, but I hope people listening can understand at least where I'm coming from on that one, which is not even my idea. It was, so it was a reader comment. Yeah, no, I, right. I'm, I'm taking issue with the reader comment. Um, you mentioned it. <laughs> so you mentioned it. So you were the, the recipient of my, uh, my questioning. So Chase Wolf, uh, his time at Wisconsin is done. There's only one quarterback left in that room from last year. It's, it, I mean, I shouldn't say that. One scholarship quarterback in that room mm-hmm. left from last year. Marshall Howe, obviously, there as well, a walk on. How well have they done in redeveloping this room, do you think? I don't think they could have done any better, to be quite honest. I mean, it's, it's really set up perfectly because you've got a guy in Mordecai who's a sixth year senior. He's very clearly QB1. And, and look, you could d- debate the conversations being had behind closed doors about a competition with everybody, but his credentials stand on their own merits. But then you've got a situation where you now have, as it stands, there's three redshirt freshmen in the room, obviously with Evers, Locke and Miles Burkett. But if you assume that the long-term future is perhaps an an Evers-Locke combination, those guys can spend a year in the program developing. Again, Locke didn't play in a game at all at Mississippi State. Evers played one game through one pass. So they can learn the system. They can get a lot better in this program for a year and then potentially compete for the starting job. And remains to be seen where Miles Burkett is going to stand. I'll certainly be intrigued by what happens in spring and the types of reps that he gets. But I think they've upgraded it and, and developed it so, very quickly in a way that I absolutely could not have anticipated. All three of the guys coming in were former four-star quarterbacks. We know that isn't the end-all be-all. Graham Mertz was the highest-rated quarterback that they'd signed at high school. But they've done a tremendous job and they've gotten guys that Phil Longo already has some familiarity with and feels like they will be able to thrive in this system. And that's important. Uh, Definitely is. We have not gotten to talk to any of those guys. Obviously we'll get the chance in spring. Um, However, a little bit of a plug here, had an opportunity to chat with uh, Skylar Bell on Kenny and Heilprin last Thursday. We were live at Monks out in Sun Prairie. Great place. Check it out. If, you haven't already, but we asked him about the quarterbacks and asked him about what he's seen from all three. And uh, he gave a quick rundown. It wasn't anything great. It wasn't this big, you know, great rundown of what they do, but he talked about Tanner said, he's a leader. He's the, he's an older guy. He's a leader. He knows what he's doing and he kind of knows the offense already. Cause he's kind of played in that style before. And then Nick Evers said he has a cannon, an absolute cannon, ton of confidence and uh, can put the ball pretty much anywhere. And then brain lock, Every can make every throw and always on point. So, uh, again, those are all 
uh, very irrelevant platitudes, I guess you would say. But if you have have a chance, we had a great talk with them last uh, last Thursday. All that's still relevant. Uh, talked about the offense. Talked about what the wide receivers are going to be doing, um, and and the the impact of inclusion of all these quarterbacks, uh, especially ones that can uh, extend plays with their feet. So if you haven't had a chance, check that out. Podcast is up wherever get wherever you get this podcast. You can also find uh, Kenny and Heilprin. So there's that. All right. So Luke Fickle was in Milwaukee last Thursday, and he spent about 15 minutes answering questions from the media. And there were a couple of interesting points to take away. I think one that I don't know if we've talked about it a ton. I think we did. I think someone asked a question about how many Badgers are on this roster. Uh, so right. I should say um, how many Badgers, former Badgers are a part of this staff. And because last the last staff was all Badgers for the most part. I mean, just former players everywhere. Um, and and now there's not so much. And Luke Fickle was asked about it. And he, he was asked about his staff and how he thought he put together. And he loves the staff. And um, obviously he put it together. So why wouldn't he love it? But he did lament that there's not a ton of ties to Wisconsin uh, within the staff. Now there are on the recruiting side and there are in some of the operations people that uh, people that are sticking around. But for the most part, there's not a ton of Badgers. And he said that they have to do a, a good job of trying to connect and learn. But it's not necessarily it's it, not necessarily ideal, I think, is is uh, how I would put it. I don't know about your take on that. Yeah, I wrote about this on Monday and he went as far as acknowledging that, quote, he probably didn't get that exact mix, end quote, of what he mapped out initially to blend the new with the old. I think he thought it was important to have somebody on staff who had ties to the state just because of how strong that's been at Wisconsin in previous seasons. And and you go back and look at last season, Paul Christ, Jim Leonard, Al Johnson, Ross Kalaji, all guys who are former Badgers. Bob Bostead wasn't a former Badger, but he was an all-conference linebacker at UW-Stevens Point, and he was in his second stint on Wisconsin's coaching staff. So they had this intrinsic knowledge. Mickey Turner, the former tight ends coach who was heading up the recruiting department. None of those guys are here anymore, and obviously several other former players who were helping out in various roles. Um, And Fickle said that it's something that this staff is going to need to overcome I have zero doubt whatsoever that they're going to do an excellent job of recruiting this state because he is fully aware of its importance to the success of Wisconsin's program. And he said that the the two areas that have to be the core and the crux of the program are the state of Wisconsin and the Chicago area. That doesn't mean they're not going to recruit the Minneapolis area or Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, but that's sort of where it begins for Wisconsin. And we've seen how successful the Badgers have been since Barry Alvarez came here about retaining that wall in the state. And one of the other things Fickle said was he wants to make it clear with whatever high schools they go into. And he feels like it's even more important in the state now to make themselves known that they tell these coaches, yeah, we might not have been here, but we have the utmost respect for all the things you have done and will continue to do. And they want to continue to build that history. I think it's more about the proof is in the pudding. So you can you can talk all you want, but you've got to go out and develop those relationships. And in the first two months, I think they've done a fabulous job of doing that. Very early in Fickle's tenure, I think it was even in the first week, he went and made the rounds at the area high schools. And it was uh, strategic. He goes to Slinger. They've got a 2025 offensive lineman there. He goes to Heartland Arrowhead, a traditional powerhouse. He's at Waukesha Catholic Memorial, where four-star prospects Corey Smith and Donovan Harbor go. He's at McGuanico, where the four-star offensive lineman Nathan Roy is. And a lot of his assistant coaches have gone to these in-state high schools. And I talked to Pat Rice for the story um, because he 
recently had his player, Rob Booker II, the tight end, committed to the Badgers. Um, and Rice is an extremely well-respected coach. He's been Wanakee for 30-plus years. He's won seven state titles. And he talked about how impressed he was with this new staff, about their organization, but also that he said three or four guys have come through here at different times already in the first six to eight weeks. And then he said they they hit it really hard, and they're very personable, and they understand how to manage a roster and deal with people. And so they're taking all the steps necessary Another thing that I think stood out that Fickle said is they don't want to just go to a high school when there's a player. And that's really important to him. They want to develop long-term lasting relationships with coaches and programs around the state. And that means being in those high schools every year, even if there isn't a viable prospect right now, they can help down the line. So he's going to open the doors for these coaches. He wants them to be a part of the program. He wants to let people in, including the media, from what he said. Um, and that's extremely important because we know that the in-state classes have formed the backbone of Wisconsin. And it's not a coincidence that you look at the two best recruiting classes they've had 2020 and 2021. They were led by in-state players. They had two four-star offensive linemen in 2020. They had three four-star players in 2021. And the 2024 class is loaded with talent. So they're making all the right steps. And now it's just a matter of going out and doing it. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Um, <laughs> I feel like in, you can maybe disagree. Or actually, I'll ask you this question. Is it going to become harder or has it become harder to keep kids in state than it was, say, I mean, obviously, when Barry Alvarez showed up, kids were leaving. But he put the wall up around it for 20 years, and it's been like that for a majority of the time. They've lost some guys here or there. But do you think it's harder now than ever to to keep guys in state, especially with the way that with certain programs are to be are, are coming in? We saw Lincoln Riley here last last month. Michigan's taking guys out of the state, Ohio State's taking guys out of the state. Do you think it's become harder to keep guys here? I absolutely do. And uh, it is not the same as basketball. It's a completely different animal. Um, that's a, the conversation for another day. But in general, Wisconsin players are, and the way recruiting is now, it has, it's, there's so much more attention focused on it. And players are getting recognized earlier in their careers. They're being designated four-star players as sophomores uh, in classes two and three years out, obviously. And that's going to generate attention from a bunch of Big Ten schools and programs all over. And so it's there, Wisconsin will always have the advantage in, in this sense that these players are in the state. They may have grown up Badgers fans. They may have dreamed of playing for Wisconsin. And they are obviously in closer proximity to Wisconsin and therefore can visit more frequently. Having said that, I think it's going to continue to become harder for Wisconsin to keep the best players. Um, and we can look at a recent example in 2022 when there were three four-star prospects that left the state, tight end Jerry Cross, signed with Penn State, offensive lineman Billy Shrouth picked Notre Dame, offensive lineman Carson Hinsman picked Ohio State. Now that was a unique year because there was the pandemic and people couldn't visit. And so Wisconsin's biggest advantage was sort of negated at the same time. You can't lose two four-star offensive linemen from the state. Um, and Fickle acknowledged that too. And I think that was notable. Another notable thing that he said um, he wasn't here, but he acknowledged, you know, may, maybe a few guys the last couple of years have gotten out of state. He said, that's on us. We've got to do a better job. He talked about trying to build relationships very early on when they're freshmen and sophomores. And I think Wisconsin's previous staff did that too. Um, but it is more of a challenge when you get these highly rated kids as underclassmen because everybody's coming after them at the same time. Yeah, it's going to be, uh... I'm, that's as interesting as anything because there is a ton of talent in the state. Sometimes it's not. Some I should say, some years there is, some years there isn't. There isn't the 2023 class, kind of underwhelming. 2024 class, significantly better. 
So um, it'll go year by year, but you just don't know which you don't know which years they're going to be. So you have to build those relationships, like you said. So we'll see if they're able to do that. I I feel confident in saying that that's going to happen. It's, oh, it's yeah. clear. It, it's clear the emphasis that they put on recruiting. It's clear the emphasis they put on relationships. It's clear how much time that they're going to be spending in, in doing this. They know, like everybody else in college football, that recruiting is the backbone of everything that you do. You can. You can be the greatest coaches. You can have the greatest scheme, but if you don't have the great, the, some of the best players, it's not going to matter. For you know, for as much as the scheme at Alabama or the scheme at Georgia, all that comes down to players, and, mm-hmm. um, and whether they're in state or out of state, that's what it comes down to. My thought is, while it obviously is beneficial to have an intrinsic, deep understanding of the program because you played there, I don't think that's the end all be all when you've got a staff at Wisconsin, as long as you handle this in the right way, you, you can acknowledge upfront your shortcomings as a staff. Like we don't have that intrinsic knowledge, but what we are invested in is learning about the people of this state, developing relationships and giving you the best opportunity to succeed at our program. And I think Fickle and his staff are going to do all of those things. So I think they'll have tremendous success recruiting in the state as a whole but again, there are going to be challenges. Even in this 2024 class, there's no guarantees about Corey Smith and Donovan Harbor, the two highest rated in-state kids, but they've been known commodities for a year plus already. So we'll see what the staff is able to do. But for, for the future years, I think it's going to continue to be the backbone of what Wisconsin does in-state recruiting. I, I will say, I do wonder if, um, I don't think they'll do it, but it felt like Gary Anderson in those two years kind of slow played some guys. and kept them kind of on the back burner as they went after some higher ranked kids out of state. And then always thought they'd be able to come back and be like, Hey, here's a scholarship yeah. coming to Wisconsin. Um, I don't think that's a great way to go about things. I think, no, uh, I think, I think it's in, it's imperative on them to identify kids early. And if you want them offer them instead of being like, Oh, well, if we don't get this guy, I'm just going to have him in my back pocket. Cause he's from right. Wisconsin. And he's going to want to be here. That's not the way to do things. That's not the way to build relationships in this state. I think we're going to see the staff continue to offer kids in the state and and not slow play it. And I think we've seen recently a good example of that is Wisconsin had back-to-back junior day weekends and they had offensive tackle Derek Jensen on campus, linebacker Landon Gothier. Those were two guys that were on Wisconsin's radar even before under the previous staff didn't have an offer yet, but this new staff extended offers on those junior day weekends. Uh, So now there's, you know, six, seven offers out to, I guess five or six offers out to, uncommitted prospects in the state um they don't obviously have to offer in-state kids but if they feel like it's a good fit go after them and don't wait and i don't think these guys are going to wait another place wisconsin is uh trying to treat like in-state recruiting the state of illinois yes uh, produced uh, jim l howard uh last week uh on national signing day a huge get for them um, and if anybody remembers last week's episode, I said, yeah, I don't know. It, it seems, it, I don't know if they're going to add anybody. If, I mean, if <laughs> Jamel Howard, if Jamel Howard ends up signing, I was wrong. Well, guess what? I was wrong. He picked Wisconsin over Michigan and Illinois and LSU and Miami. Uh, I know Michigan flipped a late, uh, I think it was Stanford commit defensive lineman late. I don't know if that had any impact. I don't think it did, but a huge get for Wisconsin because they did not land a defensive lineman in the class prior to this, and they had the one defensive lineman, Darian Varner, that they landed in the transfer portal. They lose Keanu Benton, who, uh, speaking of, had a great weekend or a great week, I should say, at the Senior Bowl down in Mobile and potentially, potentially could go 
as high as the second round. I've seen some mock drafts, and obviously those mean absolutely nothing here on February 7th, but that's great for him. But we all know how big of an impact he was when he was off the field. Uh, There was nobody that tilted the field more in Wisconsin's favor than Keanu Benton on the defensive side of the ball this year. And uh, while I like Gio Piaz and I like Kurt Neal and some of the other guys that they potentially could have there, they needed a bigger body. They needed a big body, and Jamel Howard is exactly that. To me, this is the biggest recruiting win for Wisconsin of the entire cycle. You absolutely Whoa. had, you had to have, well, in high school, I don't even think that's a, Amar- a Amari huge Snowden? statement. Um, I'm still going with Jamel Howard okay. because they have, and I think I said Snowden was maybe the most intriguing or most talented in my, I did a recap last week on kind of handing out superlatives in the 2023 class. And I think he's tremendous because he's six, three and gives them size that they basically never had at corner. They also had six cornerback or six defensive backs in the class. And so the reason that I'm saying I'm leaning toward Howard is because they didn't have any D linemen in high school. And we know, and I remember Saeed Khalif used to talk about this, that defensive line he felt was the hardest position to recruit because it was the most difficult to try and project what a kid was like in high school and how he would be in college. Jamel Howard was 325 pounds as a junior. He slimmed down to 305 as a senior and had a really good season. But guys like him don't grow on trees. Like you, you just, you absolutely need, like you were talking about with Keanu Benton, um, you need somebody up there to manhandle guys. And I think that Howard can be that type of player. So to me, to get that late ad really puts a cap on the class. And I think it's the biggest recruiting win because and this also plays into it too. They lost him, right? He had been committed and then he left. And very rarely, I think, do you see guys decommit from a school, especially Wisconsin, and end up picking them again. And the coaching staff did it twice with Howard and Tretch Kekahuna. But to bring Howard back in when it really looked like Michigan was going to get him, because after he decommitted that next weekend he took an unofficial visit to Michigan it was a game Michigan beat Illinois to go I think 11 and 0 that was the same weekend that Trey Pierce another D lineman that had committed to Wisconsin uh visited he decommitted ended up picking Michigan so I think this is just such a big deal for Wisconsin because it's a position of need it was the most important position that they had to fill and they got an extremely talented player and I think this staff deserves a ton of credit for being able to pull it off and I mentioned this in the story about they made him if not a priority, it was the priority. Like their high school coach told me that Mike Tressel, the, the defensive coordinator, whether it was the first day he was hired or the second day, he was at Marist High School in Chicago because he wanted it to be known. Jamel Howard, we absolutely want you. And and we we may have lost you into the previous staff before, but you're going to be our number one priority. And, and then they went and got Greg Scruggs and uh, that made all the difference in the end as well. Why do you say that? Well, I think if, so Jamel didn't sign during the early signing period. That was December 21st to 23rd because he wanted to take his visits and he needed more time. He didn't decommit until November 17th. So he had about a month before the early signing period. If he had picked a school, then it would not have been Wisconsin. They had not hired a defensive line coach at that time. His coach and, and Jamel talked to me about this too. He really connected with Scruggs. He just vibed with him very well. Sometimes you establish a good connection very soon. And Scruggs wasn't hired until a few weeks before the the February signing period. So they were able to develop a really strong relationship. And I think that was important because when Howard was previously committed and I talked to him about this, I think it was in October, late October. So a few weeks before he decommitted his number one relationship at Wisconsin was Ross Kalaji. And he said, if, if Kalaji were to leave, I don't think that would be good to me because I'm coming to play in his system. So they, they lost him obviously, 
So relationships are really important to Howard and Scruggs just happened to be that guy that he connected with. And I think that played a massive role in him coming back into the fold at Wisconsin. Uh, real quick before we move on, there's, there was one Twitter question about Jamel Howard. So I'm going to, I want to ask that one right now. It's from Mike. He says, does Jamel Howard have an instant impact on the defensive line this season? This is such a hard question to answer because I go back to Keanu Benton. I remember going to Janesville and visiting with him and talking to his high school coach and watching film. And his high school coach was showing me film of Keanu and talking about how he would kind of come up in stance uh, just because he was a bigger dude. He didn't necessarily always have to get leverage on guys and he could dominate them anyway. And my sense after talking to him and watching the film was, well, okay, so Keanu's going to need at least a year in this program because it's a whole different world from playing at Janesville to coming to Wisconsin. And what happened? He was one of two true freshmen who played regularly, he and Leo Chanel. Um, so it, the point I'm making is it can be awfully difficult to try and project, especially for a guy who's not in spring ball now, so we won't have a chance to see him. But I would lean toward no immediately just because it's hard for true freshmen at that position. But Keanu is sort of the evidence uh, against that. I think it's open, though. That's the thing is, I mean, he – I can't sit here and say in February as well, Gio Piaz has the nose guard role locked up or Kurt Neal has the, the role locked up. I think he'll have every opportunity. Um, but right now, I guess I would lean toward no. And just the, the thought being that maybe he'd need to, to develop some, but he's 305 pounds. He's 310, 315, whatever he's going to come in. You can't teach that. It's funny that you mentioned Nina of the year. I don't, you, maybe you don't remember this, but the, the first week of spring uh, fall camp when Keanu was a freshman, we were up in the parking garage watching practice, and the defensive linemen work right below us the, in the, this left side of the field. Uh, that's where the defensive linemen were, and you could see him going through. And we, I, I think I, I think I said something like, "Yeah, he's not going to be, he's not going to play this year. <laughs> he's not going to play this year at all." And then obviously he ends up starting the, the, the opening game. So, or at least played a ton the opening game. Um, so, yes, uh, until you actually see it and actually see it for an extended period of time, apparently. You don't always know, but the physical attributes certainly are there. And we'll see if he's got everything else that goes along with needing to play the position. It's awfully tough in general to project which true freshmen are going to contribute. Sometimes you just know. I mean, I remember the 2020 class, uh, Nick Kerbig and Jalen Berger were my top two guys. Like, okay, these have a chance. These guys have a chance to play immediately, but sometimes you just can't know until they get out on the field. I absolutely think Howard's going to have a chance. It's just hard to tell until we get to August. Yeah. So you mentioned you went through uh, in your superlatives, right? Um, mm -hmm. Give me real quickly. Give me a give me a few of them. Yeah. On the 2023 uh, well, class. So I have Howard as the biggest recruiting win. I went with Amari Snowden as the most intriguing player for the reasons that I laid out. He's the second four star corner Wisconsin's ever signed. The last one happened in 2001. And his size is just so unique as a six, three guy. And I think when he's not going to be focusing on baseball anymore, he's got a chance to just go through the roof. He could have been. Uh, I mean, maybe he could have been a major league baseball player. Like that's not even hyperbole. He hit 400 as a junior. He threw three no hitters. He's a left-handed pitcher, which helps. And he threw in the high eighties. So obviously we know Wisconsin doesn't have a varsity baseball program. Um, the best playmaker for me, I went with Tretch Kekahuna. Um, he's got like sub four or five forty speed. If you've seen some of the videos, the way he's able to fake people out with his movements, he's very shifty. He's only 5'11", 180. So I envision him as a slot corner but he played on a Bishop Gorman team in Las Vegas that had a five-star USC wide receiver signee. And yet Kekahuna was the guy who led the team in receiving yards, catches, touchdown catches. I think the most underrated is Christian Eliagro, the outside linebacker, um, because he was 
talk about multi-sport athletes. He was a lacrosse standout who initially committed to play lacrosse at Navy and then used an extra year on prep school. So I think he's got a lot of upside. Braden Moore, to me, the safety is the best prospect. And I think, I mean, you always need those glue guys. Tyler Jansey and Justin Taylor, to me, are those guys who stayed committed through this entire process. They've been leaders. Um, and then the biggest, like, what if, to me, is Tackett Curtis, the outside linebacker. His recruitment was very closely followed by Wisconsin fans for a year plus. Bobby April recruited him as hard as any assistant I've ever seen <laughs> recruit anyone at Wisconsin. I think he visited seven times to his hometown in Louisiana in like an eight or nine month stretch. And Curtis had Wisconsin in his top three with USC and Ohio State and picked USC. So those are some of the superlatives that I had in a nutshell. All right, let's get into our Twitter questions. We'll start with uh, Kevin. He says, uh, did Chase Wolf actually enter the transfer portal or did he just leave school? He left school. He's not in the portal right now. Um, he's tr trying to decide whether he wants to go through this again at a different school. And he'll have that opportunity um, if he wants to. But right now, not in, the, not in the portal. And the portal isn't open until May 1st also. Correct. Uh, but graduate transfers can enter at any time. Yeah, I don't. Well, he's not right now. He's taking some time to reassess what he wants to do. Gotcha. All right. Uh, CT Badger says, is it wrong for me to be displaying, displaying withdrawal symptoms with the lack of Badger recruiting announcements? My irritability and general sluggishness were briefly subdued by the Jamel Howard news, but I'm back to feverishly searching for more info. I don't think it's wrong, but that largely speaks to just the insane run Wisconsin went on for <laughs> a month that every day they were getting somebody and one day they got three guys. So, um, I feel your pain, I guess, if, if you're a, a Badgers fan, uh, it's certainly more fun when the bat signal is out, but uh, I'm, there's plenty more coming, I'm sure, in the 2024 class. Yeah, for sure. Beers and Taco says, "Will the spring game be a sellout?" In my eyes, <laughs> it should be, in my eyes, it should be no different than a Saturday in the fall. Um, there's a lot of jokes to be made there. I'm not going to make them um, about Saturdays in the fall and what the crowd looks like at certain times of the of the game, but. I would be shocked if it's a sellout. I mean, I think it's a lot of it's not a sellout. No, I think a lot of it's going to come down to first of all, it's not going to be a game. It's just right. going to be a practice. It's just going to be a scrimmage or a practice slash scrimmage. So it's not like it's. I really wish they would go back to a game. I desperately want them to go back to a game. I loved what Ohio State used to do back in the day. They used to draft teams. They'd have captains and and the, they would draft two different teams and and play. I love that. I, that's obviously not going to happen this year. But I think a lot of it has to do with the weather. But I wouldn't be surprised to see 20,000, maybe. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be the best. I think it'll be the best open practice slash spring game turnout I've ever seen in the 12 plus years of seasons I've been here. But the idea that they would have 80,000 people or 70,000 or 60,000 here, um, I just don't see that. Um, I mean, if it's great weather, if it's great weather, I could, I mean, if it's like 65 and sunny. I could see a ton of people coming out on the day, right? Sure, um, but 70,000? No, 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 no. I, I, I'm not saying 60, 70,000. I'm saying like maybe they could get 30,000, 35, depending on what some yeah. of the other, depending on what some of the other stuff is going on around campus that, that, uh, that day. I know it's, this, there's going to be other events going on that, that are a part of this, um, but they're going to make a big deal out of it. I just don't know how, I mean, if, if it's April 22nd and it's raining and it's 40 degrees out or 45 or 50 degrees out, there's not going to be, you know, that many people there. I, I shouldn't say that many people. There's going to be, the diehards are going to be out there, but the people that would come just to, as it like a, 
curiosity thing or to get out and do something in the spring just to get outside because you've been cooped up all winter won't be there if that's the case. 20,000 plus feels reasonable to me at this stage. And again, that's a very good number for Wisconsin and, and what this day has been in previous years. We know that interest is as high as it's maybe ever been, certainly in a long, long time at Wisconsin. People want to see what what this uh, program is all about under Luke Fickle, but specifically what this offense looks like with all this talent and with a different system. So the intrigue will be off the charts, um, but it's just traditionally it's the numbers haven't been massive, but I would expect this to be the highest in a long time. Maybe my memory is, is uh, wrong here, but when it used to be a game, uh, I'm thinking like 2008 when they were going to be uh, going to be ranked pretty highly. There was like 20, 20,000, 20, 25,000 people there when um, before Lee Evans, like the game, the, the year Lee Evans got hurt and tore his ACL the, in 2002, there were, I mean, there used to be 20, 25,000, 30,000, but there was also other stuff going on. There was like the, the baloney bash and there was just so much other stuff going around. that was just like a huge and crazy legs and everything around it. That it was just a huge party downtown uh, on like one of the first nice spring days of the year. Um, that has not been the case for a while now. So, um, but I think there's enough intrigue here that there's the, it'll be the biggest crowd by far that anyone will ever remember, I think just because your memory about these spring things only goes back like 10 years. So we'll see. Yeah. What else you got here? All right. Keith says uh, the Badgers on paper schedule looks light and their toughest opponent is at home. Obviously Ohio state. Do you think that the Badgers will win the big 10 in Luke Fickle's first season as head coach? Should that be the expectation or is the expectation to win the West and make the title game? I would be, there's a big part of me that would be surprised if they won the whole thing uh, just because we haven't seen it for a decade. And I've yet to see Wisconsin get on the level of Ohio state consistently through four quarters. <laughs> I mean, obviously they haven't beaten the Buckeyes since 2010 and that's the team generally that Wisconsin's had to overcome. Michigan's obviously had two great years. I think my expectation is that they should, I think they should win the West. I do just with all the changes that they've made. It's, it's tough to predict because you don't know how it's all going to come together immediately in year one, but the schedule to that question is, is certainly manageable. We, other than Ohio state at home, the other two crossover games against the, the East division teams are Indiana and Rutgers. And those should be manageable. And the West division, usually a toss up in a lot of these games. So I, I think certainly Wisconsin should be a favorite to win the West. It's just hard for me to, to say they're going to get over the hump and win the big 10 when I haven't seen it for so long, but maybe this is the jolt that they need with a different system to do it. I would say that this, this door right now is open and in 2024, it's going to be a completely different animal when USC and UCLA come in and the divisions presumably change. And uh, so this is your chance in the West division to go make some noise and, and get to the championship game. And I think fickle and the crew can do it to get there. Um, I'm just not sure if I'm ready to say they're going to win it. Alex uh, followed up with a, a similar question, but uh, I'm going to actually put you on the spot. What are your predictions for the Badgers record next year? Oh man, you know how wrong I was before the season. Uh, I think I said they'd go, what I said, 10, 10, ten, and, you, ten and, you, nine, well, three. You said nine, you said 10 and two and then nine and three, two different places. I don't know which one you went with here um, and which one you <laughs> went with the athletic, but right. uh, there, there were two different ones. 
Um, gosh, I, I'll say a 10 win season, uh, that mm. gives wiggle room for the, the loss to Ohio state and somebody else. Um, I don't know, nine or 10. It's hard. Like, I don't know. I don't know what the defense looks like and I don't know what the offense looks like. So it's just insanely difficult for me to make some projections. Um, I mean, will the defense be as good as it has been? It's going to be tougher when they're on the field more. And so that's the balance that I'm trying to weigh too, but Maybe we can revisit after spring practice so when we've got some idea of who's actually on the field and what it is the Badgers are running. I'm sorry, but you're locked in at 10 wins. Okay, uh, 10 and 2. I, you heard it here I, first, 10 I, and 2, win I, the West. I have locked you in. Uh, yes, the West, the West isn't, I mean, you look at the quarterbacks in the West, there's actually some, where it's kind of been a wasteland for a while, there's some really interesting teams with quarterbacks now, right? Obviously, Wisconsin with Tanner Mordecai, you have Cade McNamara, down at Iowa. The Iowa thing is just hilarious. I don't know if, if you saw this yesterday. I'm sure you probably did. They got, got a hold of the contract for Brian Ferentz. He's staying on. He, he got an amended package. He's staying on, and he has to reach a certain number of points per game to keep his job. 25, which feels like 100 at Iowa. And yet, it doesn't really matter if it's offensive points or defensive points. Or special teams points. It doesn't. It just doesn't matter. Like however you get there is how you get there. It's kind of funny. So <laughs> that that that's hilarious to me. Um, I really thought. I guess I never thought Kirk would move on from him. But then I'm like, why would Cade McNamara go there? But hey, accomplished quarterback at Michigan, and uh, you know a veteran there. Hudson Carr down at Purdue. You have Ethan Calicamanis or whatever the heck his name is up in Minnesota whoever the transfer quarterback that Brett has this year, um, he just rolls him through all the time. You got Casey Thompson, plus the the guy that transferred in from Georgia Tech out at in Nebraska. So there are there are a ton of um, interesting names, but the Big Ten West and quarterback uh, have taken a step up since the last time a lot of these teams played. So it should be interesting. But yeah, I, Wisconsin should be the favorite to win it. And I think they'll end up being picked by the media. That doesn't mean anything, obviously, but... It's a, I think the division is improved over what it will be or what it, what it was in 2022. And obviously, Wisconsin is a big part of that. We'll see. Who knows? Jesse, thank you very much. Uh, we will... Uh, oh, I have one more question. Okay. It, was in my, it was in my direct messages, so I kind of missed it. Forgot about it. But this is from Bryn. She said she uh, came across a TikTok the other day that taught you how to make nebraskan runza and she watched it out of curiosity for jesse's disdain for them (laughs) and she she says i gotta say they basically just look like odd boring pastries and i think he overreacted to their level of grossness what exactly made them so terrible so for anybody that doesn't remember uh when we went to nebraska in 2019 2019 runza is everywhere and jesse decided to, for the first time, partake. And it did not go well. Why didn't it go well? And what did you hate about them so much? I know it was blasphemous to Nebraska fans to even question the (laughs) the flavorfulness of Arunza. It was bad. It tasted (laughs) bad. I don't know how to get more blunt than that. It was soggy and it was gross. And maybe it was a one-time dining experience. I mentioned this. We were back in Nebraska this past season, and I was actually leaving the game. And because runs is on every corner, like a Walgreens out there, 
uh, I was sitting at a stoplight and there was one right across from me staring me in the face. And I, I had a moment of, uh, decision to make a, a moment of clarity. And I thought, uh, no, I'm not going to do it. I will not subject myself to Runza again. So, uh, I didn't like how it tasted. I mean, maybe I'll give it another shot somewhere else and maybe I'll have to view the TikTok video and make one myself, but that seems highly unlikely. <laughs> um, that kind of brings up a question. I, I know, you know, everyone thinks like when you travel for football, oh, you're going to hit up the, the, the best spot in town every time you go to these different places. Please. It's not the case, but do you have any favorites? Like, is there a place that you, anywhere on the beat, any, any yeah. town you go to, is there anything that you're like, I have to go there when I, when I go to that city? Well, first I would say I wind up eating more fast food on the road than any other time in my life. It is not a healthy uh, existence, <laughs> but well, do you, I do would you, just, just before you, we, we desperately tried to eat, I don't want to say healthy, but not fast food when we went to Ohio state. We drove around for an hour and a half trying to find a place um, on the day of the game, and we ended up eating McDonald's. So yeah, that's yeah. Go ahead. I think uh, somewhere I've given this place a shout out, but I will. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind when you said this was uh, Mountain Jack Steakhouse in Lafayette, Indiana, for the Purdue road game. Oh yeah, uh, it's right yeah. right next to a, a Red Roof Inn. Uh, <laughs> it's it used to be right by where Wisconsin's team stayed. I don't know if they stay there anymore, but. Uh, very reasonably priced steaks that are massive. Um, I give that place a shout out. That's the first that comes to mind. You are the only person uh, on the beat that I've ever known that uh, has stayed at multiple red roof inns. To be fair, uh, uh, that was those were in the pre-athletic days when I was, uh, you know, just uh, getting by on the the skin of my teeth on the the budgets that they provided for well, travel. I was did it wind up. Was it I, though? I was going to say uh, Las Vegas. Not by choice that I wound up at a Red Roof Inn <laughs> in Vegas because I missed the, uh, I, the, the, yeah, I got stuck in Detroit and, and didn't tell the hotel, which my bad. I've certainly learned from you have to call the hotel before the end of the night to let them know you will not be there because of flight troubles. Otherwise, they will just pretend you don't exist and say that the room's all booked up, which is exactly what happened when I got there 36 hours later. And by the, the goodness we- of, of, uh, of God, there was a red roof in across the street that had availabilities. So and I wasn't was next, by choice. And that was next to? Uh, may or may not have been a strip club in the general <laughs> vicinity. A gentleman's club on one uh, on one side and with a, a weed store on the other. I mean, it's it's a really good location. Really good location, depending on <laughs> uh, if you depending on your vices. Yeah, um, fair. And and I don't ha- and look, I'm not going to take shots at anybody that wants to do either. It doesn't matter to me whatsoever. Just, hey, anything you want in Las Vegas, whatever whatever it is that you want, you can find it in Las Vegas. Um, and you just have to go around the next corner to do so. So, yes. Uh, but that was a fun trip. That was a fun trip. We will see. Uh, are there any good places they're going this year? Well, they're going to Purdue, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they, they might go, be. They, so. they, Mountain they, Jacks. They go, they go to Purdue. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, up and go. Anything in Dinky Town you like up there? No. Um, I haven't spent a lot. Of, I haven't spent a lot of time there. <laughs> what a horrible name for a city, or for a little <laughs> place in a, in a city. Ridiculous, but it goes along well with the rest of uh, the University of Minnesota football program. So all good. Champagne. I think Champagne. They've got a good. Uh, God, I can't remember what it's called, so I apologize. You can get like a a pie milkshake. Uh, I'm sure you can get that other places, but it's like Probably. specific to Champagne. <laughs> so you know, it's good for packing on the calories, which is obviously what uh, I need. 
Um, or either way. All right. We'll be back next week to hopefully have some more to talk about. You've been listening to the camp.